Morning, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate you joining us this morning, not only here at our Banks Mill campus, but those of you who are joining us at our West and Ridge campuses, or maybe you're just watching online this morning. I'm glad you're here, wherever here happens to be for you today. Let me just say up front, you may notice a little bit this morning that I'm moving kind of slow, kind of gingerly, that I look a little stiff. There is a reason for that. On Friday morning, my wife Terry decided it would be a great idea for us to paint and stain our screen porch. And so apparently, if you're 56 years old and you do about a thousand up, downs, up, downs like that, you end up sore for a pretty long time. So I'm just kind of aching this morning, so uh, just bear with me. It'd probably be easier for the cameraman. He won't have to move as much because I'm going to be pretty stationary. So anyway, do me a favor. Go ahead and take out your message notes if you hadn't done that already, and you'll see we are in week two of Kingdom. This series of messages in which we're exploring one of the most important and at times one of the most misunderstood aspects of our faith, and that is the kingdom of God. The reason I say it's one of the most important aspects of our faith is because Jesus did. Jesus emphasized the kingdom of God almost more than any other topic. And in fact, Jesus said, if we are truly his followers, then his kingdom should be the priority pursuit of our lives. In fact, notice there, top of your outline, Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. That, that's pretty clear, right? Here's the problem. It's hard to seek something when you're not 100% sure you know what it is. In fact, that's why last week when we kicked off this series, we spent a lot of time just trying to understand some basic truths about the kingdom of God, to try to understand what the kingdom of God is and what it's not, where it is and where it is not. It's not. And what we discovered is that the kingdom of God is not just something that exists up in heaven and we'll get to go to it when we die by and by in the sky. We discovered that the kingdom of God is all around us all of the time. The kingdom of God exists anywhere and everywhere that God's power is displayed, where His presence is experienced, and where His purposes are fulfilled. That's the boundaries of the kingdom of God. And so I would just say if you missed last week's message, maybe I would encourage you to go back and watch it online because those are the foundational things that we're going to be building on over the next couple of weeks. Interestingly, Jesus not only emphasized the importance of the kingdom of God, but he spent a lot of time describing to his followers what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus' favorite way to describe the kingdom of God was through parables. These little made-up stories that taught abstract concepts through everyday life experiences. And interestingly, of the 31 unique parables that are recorded in the Gospels, 10 of those parables describe the kingdom of God. And so if you really want to understand the kingdom of God, 
If you're really serious about pursuing God's kingdom above all else, then these parables will be key for us. And so today what I want to do is unpack three short parables from Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can turn or click there. These are three of the shortest parables that Jesus told. These are stories from the kingdom. And from these kingdom stories, we can discover kingdom principles that we can apply to our lives. Three principles from three short parables this morning. So let's jump in. Number one. The first thing we learn about the kingdom of God from these parables is that in the kingdom of God, little things can have a big impact. In the kingdom of God, little things can be the big things. I've shared this with you before. Every time I officiate a wedding, I always say to the couple in the ceremony that having a great marriage means remembering that in a marriage, the little things are the big things. Like Great marriages aren't built by, you know, huge gifts and great romantic trips and gestures. Great marriages are built on simple little things done over a long period of time. Like just being grateful and appreciative. Like verbally saying I love you to one another on a daily basis. It's those little things that have a big impact in a marriage. Well, it's the same with the kingdom of God. Little things can have a big impact. Most of us, if we're honest, when we think about having an impact for the kingdom, we think it's got to be something big. You know, go big or go home. If I want to impact the kingdom, I need to start a ministry that's going to touch thousands of people. Or I need to write a book that's going to encourage, you know, millions of people. Or or I need to sell everything I own and and go to Calcutta and serve among the lepers like Mother Teresa did. I got to do those big things to impact the kingdom. Now listen, nothing wrong with any of those things if that is what God has called you to do. But you just need to understand Big things are not required to make an impact on the kingdom. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it. Look at this first parable, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of the garden plants. In fact, it grows into a tree so big that birds can come and make a nest in its branches. In the first century in Palestine, the the smallest seed of herbs that was cultivated was the mustard seed. And yet the mustard plant was the largest of all the herbs grown in their garden. In fact, they would grow big enough and their limbs strong enough that birds could literally build a nest and live in those. In fact, I was reading this week, the black mustard seed actually grows literally into a bush or tree that can get 12 to 15 feet high. Even the smaller yellow mustard bush can grow 3 or 4 feet high. Little things become big things. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And it's not just from this one little story that Jesus told. You can see this principle throughout the Bible. In the kingdom of God, a skinny little shepherd boy can become one of the greatest kings in all of human history. 
In the kingdom of God, one kid's sack lunch can become a feast for 5,000. In the kingdom of God, a ragtag group of 11 filthy fishermen and sinful tax collectors can start a movement that would change the course of human history and today have over 2.3 billion followers. Little things can have a big impact in the kingdom. So what does that mean for us? How do you apply this kingdom principle to your life? Look at what Jesus says, Matthew 10, 42. He says, those who give one of these little ones a cup of cold water because they are my followers will truly get their reward. Now, it's kind of easy to read that and think that Jesus is saying that the little kids are the followers. Right? If you first read it, it almost seems like if you give a cold cup of water to a kid who is one of mine, one of my followers, then that's going to be a big thing. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is if you give the cup of water because you are my follower, that little thing is a big thing. That's why some translations say if you give even a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. See, it's not the cup of cold water. It's the name in which it is given for the king of the kingdom. My point is this, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is the force multiplier. What does that mean? That Jesus takes some little thing that we do and grows it into a big thing. Let, let me give you a perfect example of this. Several years ago, one of our Center Point students invited a friend of his from school to come to Center Point Youth Group on Sunday morning. And so the kid came, and he loved it. And so when he went home, he told his mom, who was a single mom, he said, Mom, I want to go back. The problem was he wasn't old enough to drive yet. So in order for him to get here on Sunday mornings, his single mom had to drive him here. And she did that. She and his older brother would, would come and bring him and drop him off. But because of where they lived, it didn't make any sense to go home because by the time they got home, it was time to turn around and come back and pick him up. So they decided they'd just kill the hour right here at church. And so rather than just sit in their parking lot, they decided to start coming in and just sitting in on the services. Now look, they had no desire to follow Jesus. They had no desire to be a part of a church. It was just a comfortable place to sit while they waited for an hour for their son to get through. But over time, as they begin to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus' love, of forgiveness that was available, of a life of purpose and meaning in and through following him, this entire family, we had the privilege of baptizing six months after their son came to his first center point meeting. And look, if I brought that young man up that invited his friends, if I brought him up on stage and said, tell us about that big thing you did for the kingdom, he'd be like, what big thing? I just invited a friend to church. I just put a mustard seed in the ground. But in the kingdom of God, when Jesus is the force multiplier, little things have a big impact. So here's my question. Where could you plant a mustard seed this week? Maybe there's somebody you can invite to church. Maybe there's somebody at work 
that you could take a few moments to listen to because nobody else in their life cares enough to listen. Maybe there's somebody who acts like a jerk because they're deeply wounded, and maybe that mustard seed would just be to respond with grace and forgiveness rather than lashing back. Maybe there's a single mom or a a widower or somebody that's lost a loved one this past year. Maybe there's somebody in your community that you could plant a mustard seed. Maybe you know somebody going into the holiday season and it's the first holiday since they lost a loved one or since their marriage fell apart. You could invite them to that seminar coming up in November, November 14th, called Surviving the Holidays. It's just a little invitation. But in the hands of the King of Kings, little things become big things and change people's lives for eternity. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. The second principle from the kingdom of God is that in the kingdom of God, I'm part of a bigger plan. I am part of a bigger plan. See, it's not just that the little things that I do make a difference. It's also that what I do works together with what others are doing for the kingdom. We're part of a team. That's why right after Jesus tells the the parable of the mustard seed, he immediately tells a second, even shorter parable about the kingdom using yeast and dough. Look at verse 33. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, when you first read that, it's easy to think that Jesus is stating the same thing, just in a different way. Little things make a big impact. Like maybe Jesus told the mustard seed story for the men, because they were usually the planters, and he tells this yeast and dough story for the women, because they were making the ones making the dough. But Jesus doesn't tell this parable just to explain the same principle. He tells it to give us a whole new principle. And the reason I know that is just a couple of things in this parable that are really important. One is that phrase, three measures of flour. Circle that phrase, three measures of flour. In the original Greek, it says three sitas. That measurement is something known as a sitas. You want to guess how much flour is in three sitas of flour? A 50 pound bag. That's a lot of flour, right? Just imagine a 50 pound sack of flour. And so when when I think about that, it it seems to me that if somebody was making, you know, using 50 pounds of flour to make some dough, that's a big gob of dough, right? Those of you that ever made bread, imagine how big the loaf would be, right? It'd be big as a car, There wouldn't even be an oven big enough to put it in. And so because of that, that tells me that the point of this parable is not about the size of the dough. It's about the power of the yeast. In fact, that's what Jesus said. He said the kingdom of God is like the yeast. And so to understand this parable, you got to focus on the yeast and what the yeast does and how the yeast works. Any of y'all ladies, maybe guys, any of y'all ever made homemade sourdough bread? Let me see your hands. Yeah, a few of you. 
Back in the day, like 10 years ago, this was a craze. Everybody was into, you know, making your own sourdough bread. Now you can just get it at Fresh Market. It's easier. But in order to do that, you had to have yeast. Not the packet of dry, dead yeast. You had to have a living culture of yeast. The reason I know that is because my wife got into it, and in our refrigerator was this jar of weird-looking, nasty stuff, but it had to be cared for because it was a living organism, right? She had to take it out and feed it. If she didn't use it, she had to divide it up because it would overgrow the jar. It was like having another kid in the house, having to deal with this stuff all the time. You go on vacation, you need to hire somebody to come to the house and manage your yeast. What I'm trying to help you understand is that yeast is a living organism that multiplies. Here's what we need to understand. As Christ followers, we are part of a living organism that multiplies. That organism is called the church. The living, breathing presence of God in our world. I'm not just talking about our church, Cedar Creek. I'm talking about the Big C Church that's made up of all believers throughout all of history, those who have come before, those who are with us now, and those who will come in the future. And because of that, we need to understand that what we do for the kingdom works together with what others are doing, have done before us, are doing in conjunction with us now, and will do long after we're gone. We're part of the kingdom by connecting with the body of Christ. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. See, understand, every little mustard seed you plant, every little act of kindness, every little step of faith you take, every contribution you make towards the kingdom gets multiplied because you are part of something bigger than yourself. Let me explain this maybe using my own parable. And since it's fall and football season, I'll use a football analogy. My apologies, ladies, in advance for this. But imagine there's a young man who's been gifted by God as a fantastic quarterback. This guy's got a cannon for an arm. This guy can literally stand flat-footed and throw a football 50 yards in the air. And we go, oh, this guy's great. But here's the thing. What good is it if there's nobody to catch it in the end zone? What good is that arm if there's nobody to block so he has the time to throw it? God has gifted you with something. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says we all have at least one gift. Most of you have many, many more. God has blessed you. I know your life is not perfect, but look around. You have been blessed and gifted. The question is, what will you do with it? And will you allow it to be a part of the yeast that's growing right here in church? See, I've met people that have often said to me, Philip, I'm a Christ follower, I just don't do the church thing. You know, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I love Jesus, but, but I, don't, I don't have to go to organized religion. I'm not into that. You know, when I hear that, you know what my response is? You may be a Christian. You may even end up in heaven, but you are not part of the kingdom of God. 
And you are not seeking the kingdom of God when you are separated because the kingdom of God advances through the family of God and that's through His church. Some of us, if we're honest, we are part of the church in name only. We're like the guy who wears the, jer- the team jersey in town and to go out like he's, and wants everybody to think he's a part of the team, but he never shows up at practice. He doesn't show up at the games. He doesn't show up when things are hard. He just likes wearing the jersey and making people think he's a part of the team. And some of us are like that when it comes to the church. We don't show up that often. We're not serving. We're not connected in authentic community. We're just wearing the jersey around town hoping everybody will think we're all that in a bag of chips. Now listen, I know I sound like an old school you know, fire and brimstone preacher beating you over the head because you're not doing enough for the church. But you know better than that. You know my heart. You know how much I love you. And you know that what I'm saying is you are missing out on the joy and the excitement and the passion and the fulfillment of being a part of the kingdom of God when you're only partially a part of the yeast, the living, breathing creation that he placed on this earth. Now look, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the kingdom of God only exists within the confines of the church. The kingdom of God is everywhere. What I am saying is that through the church and your connection and your contribution to it, that is where God's power gets displayed. It's within the church that God's presence gets experienced. And it's in and through the church that God's purposes get fulfilled to transform a dark world with a message of hope and light. In the kingdom of God, little things can have a big impact. In the kingdom of God, I get to be part of a bigger plan. And then number three, in the kingdom of God, there's joy in the sacrifice. There's joy in the sacrifice. See, one of the reasons we struggle to focus on the kingdom of God, one of the reasons we struggle to seek the kingdom of God above all else is because of what we have to give up to get in on the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying you can earn your way into the kingdom. We talked about this last week. Becoming a part of the kingdom is a free gift offered through a relationship with Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, his death on the cross as a substitute and payment for our sin. You get into the kingdom for free, but living in the kingdom is going to cost you. Living in the kingdom means letting go of the things of the kingdom of this world. Jesus addresses this issue in this third small parable. It's called the parable of the hidden treasure. Verse 44. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In my mind, I imagine a guy walking through a field. I don't know why he's doing it. I don't know if he was thinking about buying it and just checking it out. Or maybe he was just taking a shortcut. But he's walking through the field and he trips on a little corner of a box that's sticking up out of the ground. Maybe the rain had washed a part of it away. And he's like, what is this? And he bends down, and I would bend down now if I could to demonstrate this, but just imagine it in your mind. So he bends over and he opens it up and to his amazement, it is full of treasure. 
more money than he thought he could ever have in life. So what does he do? Exactly what you would do. Close the lid, cover it up, and he goes, sells everything he has, and buys the field. Because apparently the law in the first century of finders, keepers, losers, weepers does not apply. Apparently you had to own the field to have possession of what was in the field. But he sells everything. And notice his attitude when he sold everything. Did you catch that? In his joy, he sold everything he had to get that treasure. It wasn't an act of obligation. It wasn't an act of duty. He wasn't doing it to try to make up for the bad in his life. He was doing it with an overwhelming sense of joy. I think this parable is summed up with this one phrase. Even if it costs me everything, it's still a good deal. Even if following Jesus and living for his kingdom, even if it costs me everything, it's still a good deal. You know, when I read this parable, I always think of the great missionary Jim Elliott who gave his life to share the gospel with tribes in Ecuador in the Amazon. One year before his death, at the hands of the very people he was trying to help, he wrote these words in his journal. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to take hold of that which he cannot lose. That's the hidden treasure. In fact, I believe the Apostle Paul was thinking about and paraphrasing this parable when he wrote these words in Philippians 3. Paul says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. In fact, the literal Greek translation of that word for garbage is not garbage. It's something way more nasty. He said, all the stuff of this world is like a big old pile of you-know-what compared to the value of the treasure of Jesus and his kingdom. See, when you truly understand the value of the kingdom of God, the shiny trinkets of the kingdom of this world that you're spending all my time and energy and stressing over trying to give, they're easy to let go of. You can let go of them with joy. So let me ask you a question. When you make sacrifices for the kingdom of God, what's your attitude? When you give out of your financial blessing to support the work of the local church, what's your heart like when you write that check or fill in that box when you give online? Is it joy? Is it a joy to let go of that for the kingdom and the treasure it brings? Or how about when you serve? When you serve within the church or when you serve the people out in the community, do you do it because you feel like you have to or to impress others or because Jesus is watching and I got to be good so he'll still love me? Or do you do it with joy just recognizing the treasure is overwhelming? Or how about this? How about when you have to say no to your friends to go and do something they're going to do because you know what they're doing is not honoring God? How do, how do you respond to that sacrifice when you tell your golfing buddies, no, I can't go on that golf trip with you 
because I know you're not just going to play golf. Or that bachelorette party that you know you can't go to because you follow Jesus. When you make that sacrifice, do you go home and sit and pout? Poor pitiful me, I'm missing out all, all the fun. Or do you have the joy of knowing that living on purpose is the most fun anybody can ever have in life? Because Jesus says in the kingdom of God, there's joy in every sacrifice when you realize the value of the kingdom now and for all eternity. So as I close this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just think about these three simple principles, these three things, and then look at them in light of Jesus' words. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What would that look like in your life this week? Would you pray with me? Father, I know that many of us here today are struggling. We're struggling to let go of things that have become habits. We're struggling to let go of relationships that have become unhealthy and destructive. We're we're struggling to let go of material possessions and we're struggling to let go of our financial situations because we are afraid. Because we're having a hard time seeing the treasure buried in the field. And so God, would you move among your people this morning? Would you move in ways that reveal the treasure of the kingdom to us? Would you open our eyes to mustard seeds we can plant? Would you open our eyes to recognize the importance of being a part of the living body of Christ right here in our community? And would you help us see with kingdom eyes and then give us the guts to run after it with all of our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.